0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast where we discuss common fulfillment operations, challenges, and how to fix them. Our guest today is Don Derwicky, senior consultant at St. Ange, a global supply chain strategy and logistics consulting firm. Don has 40-plus years of experience helping companies gain a competitive advantage through logistics, material handling, and distribution operations. I know our listeners are excited to hear Don's advice and put it to work in their own fulfillment operations. Don, welcome. Thank you, Harry. Well, it's great to have you. We go back ourselves 30-something years when steam was powering that material. Yes. The Earth was still cooling then, Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You know, you've had a long career helping companies improve warehouse operations. Could you kind of quickly summarize how you wound up where you are today? Well, just an accident of fate. In my senior year of Army
1: ROTC at Ohio State, they changed the standard for helicopter pilot training from correctable to 2020 to 2020 uncorrected. Instead of learning to fly helicopters, I learned something practical. I was in the transportation corps as a lieutenant and had several interesting assignments. Probably the most significant one was supporting the Israeli defense forces during the Yom Kippur War. After that, I spent some time in active management with two different retail chains, including time as the assistant director of transportation for a general merchandise retailer that had 60 stores. After that, I have been with four different consulting firms, including almost 10 years currently with the St. Orange Company as a
0: senior consultant. So I've had a very long and fulfilling and enjoyable career. Wow. Mine is nowhere near as colorful. In 1980, I was selling business forms and knocked on the door of a trucking terminal. They didn't want to buy any business forms, but they offered me a sales job. And that's how I got into the logistics business myself. The latest logistics management survey on warehouse automation says that companies have spent less this past year on new automation projects compared to the previous two years. Are you seeing that?
1: We certainly acknowledge that. We've been involved with a couple of those surveys for uh, some of the trade publications. And yes, the rise in interest rates and the concern that we're going to have an economic downturn have moderated some companies investment plans. But most of the clients that we work with are what I would term aggressive and long-term thinkers. And if not spending the money immediately, they are making plans. Most of our clients don't go out on the bleeding edge and they're pretty close to the leading edge with many of these things. And that's why many of them have been able to stay in business in spite of the fact that every time you pick up the paper, there's another company in chapter 11. So. I think people that we work with directly are looking for productivity, accuracy, and throughput and want to gain a competitive edge on other people in their business segment. And that's why most of them are, if not implementing immediately, making plans for more sophisticated technology, both in terms of information system support and distribution center fulfillment hardware.
0: That's interesting. Here at Amware Fulfillment, we actually spent more this year. I think we've really started to get involved in robotics. We've activated a drone cycle counting and running flying night missions, actually, in our Lawrenceville facility or in pick light And I think it's because we dabbled in it over the past couple of years, saw a tremendous advantage in starting to really layer in the technology. So we went kind of full bore this year. But how about going forward? What do you see about the pace of automation and investments as we move into 2024 and beyond?
1: Harry, I think it's going to be increasing at a faster rate as time goes on, because the automation and sophisticated technology is going to get better, faster, and cheaper. As time goes on. And to compete in the real world against others who are making these investments, you're going to have to determine which ones are appropriate for me. Not every technology that comes down the pike is appropriate for everybody. You really have to do the hard analysis and evaluation to determine. What the needs are to best serve your customers and keep you in the best cost competitive situation and provide the service that customers expect. Because we have come to expect what I call the Amazon effect, where I call this morning and it's on my doorstep tomorrow morning. So that has become not some wild dream, but it's become the expectation of customers in many segments that they don't have to call you and wait a week before their order arrives. And many of the big companies are really doing hard assessments of their strategic locations so that they can serve more customers in less time.
0: Yeah, for all of those things that you mentioned, we absolutely agree with that. And I think a a huge driver for us, and I would imagine for a lot of companies, is two things related to labor. One is the availability, and two is the cost of labor. The availability seems like it continues to go down. I know the economy is probably contracting a little bit. It may have freed a little bit up on labor availability. I think that's very, very short term. And then the cost of labor, that continues to go up, the regulatory environment regarding labor continues to go up. All those things, when we look at it, really start to drive us to more technology, more automation. And it's really about augmenting the workforce that we have. Robots and technology doesn't really get sick. It doesn't call out. It doesn't need a vacation. It doesn't need an increase. It doesn't need a coffee break. It doesn't look at the clock. Not that those are necessarily bad things, but it's the reality with which we live in today. And so we're looking to wherever we can to supplement our workforce with robots, with people, one, to make them more efficient and less travel in a warehouse. And so we think, at least for Amware fulfillment uh, going forward, we're going to continue to make those investments, to your point, to keep us competitive and to get those same day orders out the door.
1: Another soft benefit of technology is it makes you a more attractive place to work because if you're trying to hire, say, a first-line supervisor or even an experienced warehouseman, they're going to look at your technology. Can I learn here? Or is this just going to be something that's been done the same way with the same equipment, the same technology for the last 20 years? And if they see that you're an innovative company,
0: that helps them make the decision that they want to be a part of your organization. To your point, a lot of the jobs that are done in the warehouse are so rote, they're just downright boring. I mean, we may have as many as eight to 10 people on any day making boxes for us, right? When you think about that, you can get a cart director that just runs nonstop and does it. You can free up those people to do more productive, more interesting work, more value-added work. Most people would agree that any warehouse improvement project needs to start with analysis and planning. You know, how well do you think brands do this in this area? Well, this
1: is an instance where there's a real divide between the best practice companies who will spend the time, effort, money also, to do thorough and rigorous analysis to determine what technology or bundle of technologies is most appropriate for their operation, not just now, but to satisfy projected requirements. Because you know these aggressive companies who are trying to grow 10% per year or more in terms of volume, five years from now, they're going to be significantly larger, even if they just hold to their plan, let alone exceeding their plan. So if they don't do the right thing with their operations design technology, they're going to get left behind. They're going to end up with more people working harder and not as accurately and productively as they should. So it's really a critical thing. Smaller companies, they don't have to invest that heavily, but they really do need to do sufficient planning to determine what is best for them going forward not just now, but going forward. Because if they are doing something involving a new building, you're talking 18 to 24 months before that plan is really going to be implemented. So you can't be looking in the rearview mirror to do your planning.
0: You have to be looking out the windshield. You're right on those companies that are well-resourced, well-funded, can obviously do a better job in that area. The typical companies that we see, 10, 15 million in annual sales up to 100, 150, which is a typical company. They don't have the resources. They don't have the dollars. And when you start to think about they're coming out of their little warehouse, maybe where they're in 10 or 15,000 square feet, trying to figure out how they grow, how they invest, how they climb that mountain. It's really good that there are companies like St. Ange and and companies like Yamware Fulfillment to reach out to for help in doing that and guidance. Let me ask you, how does poor analysis of planning then undermine success?
1: The poor analysis is going to lead you to Undersized or oversized buildings, either of which has cost consequences. Insufficient or overcapacity, either of those cost you money. The lack of a phased implementation plan so that you don't spend all your capital up front. A capital phase-in plan is something that can financially impact your company. CFO always likes it when you can increment the capital requirements to keep up with the operations, but not spend money before they have to. And the planning, you can have the best analysis and the best recommendation, but unless you come up with the proper plan to implement that, It's just never going to be as effective as it should be. And one of the downsides of not planning properly is that you start out behind and your staff is always playing catch up, just like certain sports teams. Some are good at playing catch up and
0: others never do. Or at the track where I go and you got front runners and closers. (laughs) I would agree. That's why over the past eight years, we've really refined our implementation project plan to really consider and help customers consider every aspect of making a transition to growing, potentially coming into our third-party warehouse, a lot of hand-holding, a lot of things they may not have thought about. But because it's down now on a project map where you can see everything that's involved, it really helps them get to where they need to. So why don't brands do a better job here? Is it short-sighted leadership just trying to save a few dollars by not doing the proper analysis and planning? Many companies
1: are run by people who really don't have much interest in the supply chain operations itself. They're looking at marketing and finance and, oh yeah, we do have to deal with those people down in the warehouse. So, sometimes they seem to be bright people. We'll let them figure it out on the fly. And that is, in my opinion, a very short-sighted approach because if they're rolling out a marketing plan, you can bet that every I is dotted and every T is crossed and everything is in sequential order. Whereas if they say, well, okay, we'll just put a couple of our current staff on this. Well, that current staff, they already have a job. And you're asking them to do something that maybe for the first time, as opposed to bringing in a firm that does this every day as a business. And we could uh, identify, well, here are the places where this could go wrong. Let's shore this up so that we don't step into that hole. And let's make sure that everything is in line for success. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything
0: after the click. Learn more at amwarefulfillment.com. So, Don, I want you to just think about... Fast-growing brands that are just trying to keep up with the volumes that they're looking at, what would your advice on fulfillment optimization be for them? If they're
1: fast-growing, many of them are conserving their capital for other things. So one of the things we frequently tell companies is take a look at establishing a partnership with a 3PL that can meet your needs and Perhaps it's a hybrid where you have a certain amount of capital that you can invest for your internal operations, but take a look at partnering with someone who has the experience in your business segment with your types of customers who can carry at least a part of the burden.
0: Yeah, we've got a couple of accounts that started with us just a few short years ago. One in particular was doing a couple of thousand orders a month direct to consumer And we're thinking they have big aspirations, smart people, smart planning, know how to market very, very well. And their business went from a couple thousand orders a month to today, almost 20,000 orders a month because we worked with them and we were able to sit down and understand the runway and the plan. We were able to help them grow out of one building through additional technology, some pick-the-light technology to help them get greater throughput. And then ultimately, getting product to market faster, we put them in three buildings instead of the one. So it cut down on delivery time, cut down on the uh, zones, if you will, that parcel was shipping, saved money on transportation, saved time, and really, really been a facilitator of that growth instead of something that became an impediment for them. So clearly, yes, start to think about what that growth runway looks like, what the timing is and how a company like St. Ange or a 3PL Fulfillment company like Amware can really help you reach that growth, if you will. How often do you think a busy fulfillment operation should reevaluate that operation to maintain peak efficiency?
1: We advise people that they should take at least a summary look every two years. It's not necessarily a deep dive into the details, but to evaluate where are they at in terms of their cost structure, their relative service to their customers compared to their competitors? Where is their growth projection? Because if new technology comes in that your competitors are taking advantage of, that reduces their costs, improves their service, and puts you at a competitive disadvantage... You can't afford to sit on your hands and wait, well, we just did an evaluation a year ago or two years ago. We do them every five years. Well, if you let your competitors get a couple year head start on you, it's very hard to catch up. So a detailed dive, most companies every five years, they really should assess not just the internal within the four walls, but your strategically We've had some companies that started out strictly as East Coast companies, and then to reduce cost and improve service, they became bi-coastal. And some of them ended up with up to five and six different distribution facilities of varying sizes with varying technologies to minimize their cost to serve their customers and to maximize the service level to those customers. Because sometimes a customer who is in the Midwest feels unneglected. You're on either end of the country and there's nothing near me and it takes longer for you to service my needs than those customers that are close to your distribution center. I feel that I'm an orphan child. That is a real consideration in addition to the hard facts of costs, not only of internal operation, the cost of transportation and the customer service levels that you can offer.
0: Yeah, it's great advice. What we find is that companies that are in the, let's say, mature stage, yeah, we'll sit down with them every year and take a look at what the runway looks like. But those brands that are just taking off and growing, we'll sit down, you know, no less than six months apart, just so we can understand again where they're going. We don't have, obviously, the strategic look that they have internally. And that's why we're always kind of sitting down, pulling, seeing if we can get that out of them so we can stay ahead of the curve. But as we talk about evaluation and looking at the operation and reevaluating it, what should that evaluation ultimately entail? A detailed look at your customer order profile, because
1: over the years, customers are ordering smaller orders, but more frequently. So systems that may have been designed to fulfill an order from a customer once a week with 25 50 lines that customer might be ordering daily now sometimes more than once a day because they expect you to perform to meet their needs but those orders that used to be perhaps a full case order are now an inner pack order and those orders that used to be an inner pack order are now in each order and those customers that used to buy full pallets from you They don't buy full pallets anymore of a single SKU. So you have to really do the analysis of your operations requirements and look at what the accuracy level that your customer expects is. You don't have to be a big company. If you order something online and it's wrong, you're not likely to go back to that fulfillment house again. You're likely to try one of their competitors. So just going through the evaluation and the more sophisticated the internal operation uh, that you're looking at, the more important computer simulation to validate the operations design and to confirm that, yes, yes. This combination of information system support and physical hardware will produce at the productivity level and the throughput level that was expected and that is part of the return on investment analysis. Because just doing spreadsheet analyses like we used to do 40 years ago for a sophisticated operation, that's not going to tell you where the monsters are. Where a simulation can point out, well, Here's the weak point in this operation, and the good simulation engineers are going to say, well, okay, I see that's a problem. Let's adjust the process and maybe adjust the equipment and maybe change the information system support so that we can optimize the throughput and the productivity of this operation to make all of the investors
0: and the senior management happy with what we're doing. Absolutely. New markets, new demographics, new products, new SKUs. Yeah, there's a lot to consider. You're absolutely right. I'm sure you can really guide someone through that labyrinth, for lack of a better term. You've worked on many, many optimization projects. What are the biggest and most often mistakes you see companies making?
1: The biggest problem that I've seen over the years is information system support that was promised but wasn't delivered or wasn't delivered on time. And you end up with patchwork solutions to try to bridge the time until what was promised is actually delivered. That's the biggest thing that I see, Harry. For the most part, the hardware works. Sometimes it takes a while to get it running optimally and fine tune it. And that could be because your maintenance people weren't used to working with this level of sophisticated equipment and it takes time to bring them up to speed. And sometimes you have to bring in other people to do this. But all in all, I would say that the information system support is probably the biggest area where I would see problems. And that's been going on ever since I've been in this business and had a client fairly recently that had issues with this. We helped guide them through it, and now
0: they're doing much better. Yeah, I would agree. We see something very, very similar to short sure, changing the analysis. I mean, people know something has to be done And they just want to start moving and getting something done because they feel they're making progress. If you can start changing things and manipulating and turning dials, they don't want to necessarily wait for the data to come in because that might take a little bit of time. But, right, it's measured twice and cut once. So we see the same thing. Any kind of stories you can share about the shortchanging, if you will, of not doing the right analysis? Yeah, it's brought some companies
1: almost to their knees, I can't mention any names, but there are some companies that were advised, well, you need to do this, this, and this, and you need to invest in this equipment. And they shortcut it. And it cost them a lot more in the long run than if they had done the proper planning and execution right up front.
0: Yeah. There's a lot to be said for that. And that kind of do-it-itis is not unique to small companies. I mean, there was one of the world's largest candy manufacturers, in the Northeast, decided to go to a new ERP system before their biggest holiday, Halloween, cut the system over, and it was a disaster. They're lucky they survived that. They couldn't get candy out. And we had another one had a protein bar company that was with us that just couldn't keep up with manufacturing. Their product was so successful and so much demand that they were just in a hurry to do it. They bought equipment during COVID. They couldn't get the people to come in and install it. So they were doing this via a video cast and trying to set up this equipment. It took them months to do it. They finally got the equipment up. They disconnected the old equipment, turned the new stuff on and nothing happened. It was nothing short of a disaster. They couldn't ship for months. And they Really took a great product that was a, had a meteoric rise, and it, it set them back significantly.
1: You brought up COVID. COVID is probably, in my lifetime, the most disruptive event that I can recall for the entire supply chain. People couldn't go out, so they started taking advantage of this home delivery for everything. I'd never ordered groceries online and probably never will. But many people I know, they started doing that in COVID because they just did not want to go outside their house for practically anything. And after the real epidemic was over, they just decided, well, it's just the two of us at home. And we don't eat that much. We don't have a family of five or whatever it was. And we really like the convenience of having somebody else deliver on an every other day basis or whatever the food that we're going to eat over the next day or so. That was a real event because some places they had such restrictions on their staff that actually people were reluctant to come into work just because of the fear of infection. And in some cases that was really justified, especially if you have compromised immune system. So it was hard to get people to work at all levels. And some
0: businesses thrived on this. Some of the people, they made their fortune on COVID. Well, my wife learned how to buy everything online during COVID and she's not looked back since. (laughs) I have to remind her that it's over, but the buying hasn't stopped. How well the companies you come across do forecasting, predicting future volumes in order to plan better in the fulfillment operation? It's
1: that same two-tiered environment where the best of them do it very well. They do meticulous planning. They do a lot of contingency planning. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What are the effects on our overall plan? And they do it well. And if you're in a fairly regular business where demand is pretty stable, those companies tend to do better. If you're in a business where it's a boom or bust based on new products that you're introducing, sometimes you think that that green bunny that you're going to uh, sell a million of, it's still in your warehouse two years later. (laughs) It just didn't go. That's been my experience that the companies that are best at everything else do the best forecasting. And that's a big reason why how they got to be where they are. And some of the small companies, they just don't have the resources to do it and are reluctant to pay someone else
0: to do it. Yes. We've been pushing customers for forecasts to help us, to help them. And the good news is that they're all trying it. They're all doing it. And the one thing we temper all that enthusiasm and rosy forecasts and optimism as we look back and we say, has that happened in the past? Does that make sense? Does that trajectory that they're forecasting really make sense? So we'll always go back and temper it with that. We're coming up on time. I can't believe where it's gone. I have to ask you this, Don. If you could go back to the Don Derwicky I knew 30 years ago, or maybe even the Don of 40 years ago, what advice would you give your younger self?
1: Get involved earlier with professional organizations. I wasn't that old. I was probably in my mid-30s when I really started getting involved with Warehousing Education Research Council, becoming an officer of one of the work councils, ending up being the president. I was heavily involved with what was started out as NCPDM, for those of us who might remember that, National Council of Physical Distribution Management, which became Council Logistics Management, which was when I was still very active in it, became the president of the New Jersey Roundtable, and also getting involved with writing research papers that are published in trade publications and speaking at at conferences. I've done a lot of that, but I wish I had started earlier, and I would advise young people who want to make the supply chain, logistics, whatever you want to call it, a career. To get involved with these organizations, these trade publications, they're always looking for material. So if you start out writing something that you're aware of, you may find that there's an audience out there that's interested in your experience. And it's like many things. Once you've done it,
0: it's easier. And the more you've done it, the easier it becomes. Where can people go to find out more about you and on no, John Line? You can just go to
1: stodge.com and there is a lot of information in there. There are case studies of what we've done with different types of clients with different requirements. It will give you a profile of our business. We just celebrated 40 years of continuous business, which is a long time in the consulting
0: business. I appreciate that. Well... That does it for another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Harry.